Welcome to the Ask Philip podcast. Today, Philip tackles your questions, such as, what are the major drivers of asset class moves? What's the difference between portfolio management and stock selection? Plus, an in-studio interview with Precinct 2 Tarrant County Commissioner Devin Allen. And now, here's Philip. All right, we have another Ask Philip podcast. Today, we have a, a, a guest coming in, County Commissioner for Court 2. Devin Allen, that's uh, over here in southeastern Tarrant County. It's my it's my dist- district I live in, and Devin's a great commissioner, friend, all around good person. And what she's here to share is about some money that Tarrant County is providing for Tarrant County businesses to help with the COVID nineteen. So we all like money, and so we'll go through how to qualify, how to apply, and all that stuff. So you know how to get the money if you're in the area. And if you're not in the area, please share with any business owners that you know that are in Tarrant County because the money that's being given is quite a lot available, and we'll talk about the amounts. But you just be a good friend. Share the info. Share it. It can can be a matter for some businesses of, like, survival or not. So we'll get into that in a second. We'll roll into some questions. The current market trend, for my readings, we're still in a defensive position, still trend down, believe it or not. Again, I, I reevaluated on Saturdays. Today is Friday. We'll see what happens when I look at my weekly numbers, but it was still down. First question. What are the major drivers of asset class moves? This is a very, very simple answer because a lot of people will focus on a lot of stuff that doesn't matter when it comes to looking at what asset classes moves. And there are some things that are specific to an industry that moves asset classes, but the big picture drivers, think about it like a, like a tide. You know, you're out, you're out in the ocean and the immovable force out in the ocean is, is waves and wind, right? Waves and wind is a big factor in speed and movement. And so in, in the economy, inflation and growth of the economy are the two biggest factors, right? Inflation being how much the cost of goods are rising or how much the currency is depreciating, which is saying the same thing just about from an inflation. It's not the same thing, but from an inflation standpoint, it'll show similar numbers. So what's happening to inflation and growth, right? Either local growth, but I'm talking global growth in this one. What's the growth globally? And let me give you an example. So inflation, if inflation is, is rising higher than what the people expect, right, then that means that hard assets tend to do better. So that's going to be commodities, gold, companies that own or are in that or in own lots of commodities or gold or in that business. But if for another, if to flip that, if growth is growing faster than what people are thinking, then those Companies that are like oil and gas companies, home builders tend to do well. Cyclical stocks, cyclical stocks are going to be car companies. Home builders are cyclical too. Uh, retail transports, uh, which are like airlines, right? If growth is higher than normal, those tend to do well. Now, if growth is slower than what's expected, that's when you get things like tech doing well. Uh, large companies with strong balance sheets tend to do well. L- low inflation is also similar you know, similar companies. If growth is like just slowing to where people think it's going to be a recession, then that's when cash and bonds tend to do well and just about every other asset class doesn't do well. And so these are just general classes of things that 
do well depending on what's going on, but you want to make sure that you understand, hey, before I make an investment decision, what is the trend of inflation and what is the trend of growth? Is it growing higher than what's expected or lower than what's expected? And those are multi-year trends in most situations. So you, if you get that right, then you're investing with those trends and it becomes a whole lot easier to narrow down how you want to position your money. Next question. Philip, what's the difference between portfolio management and stock selection? This actually is a, a really good question. And, and, and it, I'm, I'm building on top of the last question about the major drivers of asset return. So, so stock selection. Let me give you like an example. So I'll have, there's all these Facebook groups, people who I talk about who are interested in stock investing right now. And they'll tell you, Oh, I bought this stock and it went up 400% or I bought this stock and it did well. I'm like, yeah, but how about your total portfolio, right? So if you have a hundred grand to invest, did you have all a hundred grand in that stock? No, I only had like, you know, five grand of it. Okay. So when you, when you net out the return of all of your stocks over a period of time, let's say 12 months, two years, three years, how'd you do? Like losses, net of gains in the total portfolio. What people realize is most people's portfolio management skills are, 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 are terrible because all they're focused on is how do I get in the next best stock? They ignore the losing investments. And, and if they're not big enough in the winning stocks, meaning if they don't have enough of their money in the winning stocks, then it doesn't really affect their overall term. But if they have too much money, uh, in the losing stocks, then that majorly affects their overall returns. And so portfolio management is the science of all that, knowing how much to have in how many different stocks, right? How, how much diversification do you want? The more diversification, the, the, the more consistent the returns potential is, but it's going to give you potentially lower returns. Less diversification, the higher returns, but the more variability in the amount of money uh, that you're making. And so all those little things, you, you know, matter. What is the economic environment? What is the trend for growth and inflation? What are you using as hedges, right? A hedge might be, for example, in this market where, you know, we're in a s slow growth, low inflation, but the government is printing money and, you know, the next step and, and gold is, you know, you have things like gold performing, you know, so, so you basically have a situation where the economic environment may not warrant you to, to want to own gold, but gold is performing well and gold is performing well because those in the know know that the government's going to start printing money even more. And that's a, that's a great hedge for money printing. And so you're kind of getting in quote unquote relatively cheap to hedge some of the stocks that you might own in a low inflation, you know, really slow growth type of environment. So those are like small nuances of portfolio management. That is the more important process in investing. So stock selection is not hard. Matter of fact, you could put on screeners that select stocks for you. And that is super simple. Like I spend next to zero time on stock selection. All of my time is spent on portfolio management. And if you look at the long-term successful investors that make money, not just in good markets, because there's people out here better doing things and, you know, giving it, I don't say give advice, but teaching courses that made money in a rising market. Like 2017, it was a rising market. And that's when you start seeing a lot of people offering courses because they were like, oh, I made this amount of money where everybody made money in 2017 because it was a market that went straight up with stimulus from um, the corporate tax rate change. And so 
portfolio management is what what allows you in this, and portfolio management doesn't mean you're going to make money every month or every year. Portfolio management is going to give you a high probability of making money over the long term, right? And making good money, good after tax, after fees and commission money. That's what you see the long term people, the people that are, are, are billionaires or hundred millionaires or run institutional money or make good returns. I'm not talking about the boring mutual. I'm talking about the people that actually like make consistent money, not the, not the short term people that have these claims on websites of, make an X amount in a year or two or a small time frame. Pay attention to the small details. It's the ones that are consistent investors in the market. They pay attention to portfolio management. We have Commissioner Allen here today. Thanks for coming in, Commissioner Allen. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity. My pleasure. So so we're here to talk about, so give me the technical name for it so I don't mispronounce it. I'm looking at it on the website. It says Tarrant County Small Business Assistant Grants. Is that That's not the technical name for the program, right, that we're talking about today. Well, so it falls under a larger, what we're calling the CARES for Tarrant. And so we received, Tarrant County received a direct allocation of just over $209 million from the federal government as a part of the relief package uh, for those affected by COVID. And so we have basically a four, four pillars that fall under CARES for Tarrant. And then the Small Business Assistant Grant is one of those pillars. Okay. And and so the the application period begins June twenty second uh, at ten a.m. That's right. So that's when it goes live, and you can actually complete the application, and then um, and you can do that starting this coming Monday, um, June twenty second through July first. Okay. And, and how do you do it? Sure. Well, you have to go online. Okay. And. Um, so, and it's on the front page. I, I pulled it up, TarrantCounty.com, and it was right there on the front page. Yeah, the, like the Cares for Tarrant button, and then you hit that, and it kind of goes in more in depth about those four pillars, which one is a small business assistance grant, which I'm sure we'll talk more about. And then there's also um, money that's been dedicated to testing, and that's one pillar. Um, the third pillar is social services, which um, – that's been allocated $30 million, and it would cover rent, utilities, and then also support for nonprofit organizations, or sometimes as references, NGOs, non-governmental organizations. And then the fourth and final pillar is called our local partners pillar, and that's where we gave um, every city in Tarrant County, there are 41 cities, and based off of population, um, which I'm going to talk about the census a little bit later. But based off of population, the federal government said if you are a city or a county that has 500,000 residents or more, then you'll get a direct allocation. Well, the only city in Tarrant County that has 500,000 or more residents is Fort Worth. So Fort Worth received a direct allocation, but then the 40 other cities in Tarrant County did not. So what we did as a court to support the cities in their efforts to care for our residents was to give them a $55 per capita allocation based off of 2019 population numbers. Mm-hmm. So and, and help me understand what per capita means. Sure. So that means per person. Okay. Yep. Okay. So let's let, let's go into the and, and the business part is the the 30 million That's for right. businesses. That's right. Specifically. Yep. But before I ask questions that I have, share what you think everybody ought to know, right? Sure. So, and so my audience is a lot of people who are entrepreneurs who are, who are in business, but mm-hmm. 
you know, you have other people in Tarrant County that might, you know, what does everybody need to know about the, the assistance program? Sure. Well, so um, it became apparent to us pretty quickly, obviously, given the state orders and then county orders and city orders in, in an effort to try to flatten the curve um, some time back that um, businesses would and their operations would be affected. So we wanted to look at um, how could we best support businesses whose um, operations and revenues were affected by required closures. So in developing the Small Business Assistance Grant, we really wanted to focus on small businesses. Um, we know that there are some other federal programs that were out there that um, did serve a, a purpose, but n- not necessarily were small businesses able to kind of get in there. Right. You required a, a, a relationship with a, uh, with a banker or with a bank. And, um, the turnaround time was really quick. And so, um, while we've heard that some people were successful in getting, um, PPP, um, and the other program getting support from those, we wanted to make sure that we focused on those uh, small businesses. So that have 25 full time folks, um, or equivalent in part time. Mm-hmm. And then we wanted to make sure that they were in Tarrant County, but outside of Fort Worth, since Fort Worth has their own program. And then we, um, just by doing, you know, a, a um, kind of initial survey, saw that, you know, your sole proprietors and retail establishments and restaurants were hurting pretty badly. And so we wanted to make a program where someone could get a grant up to $10,000 to help to cover their revenue loss related to COVID. And I know the, the website has all the details of, of who's eligible, how to apply. D- do you have an idea of like what's the turnaround time? Sure. So we do have a, a goal timeline. So if it, the application period opens up Monday, the 20, June 22nd, closes July 1st, mm-hmm. then we um, decided as a court that we didn't want to take a first come, first serve approach. Mm-hmm. We wanted to get in all the applications, see what the need looks like, and then try to every um, applying business that qualifies to try to give them something. Mm. Um, and... So we would ideally then, re, you know, have those applications reviewed, kind of come to consensus on what that looks like. And then um, in July would make, um, would cut checks to the businesses. Got it. Yep. And is it going to be similar to how the federal government did, direct deposit or checks are going to go out? They, they're going to be checks. Okay. Yeah. Okay. At least we don't got to come pick them up from the courthouse, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And, and so have y'all had a feel for... COVID and how many businesses were affected? Because like my son's karate school closed down. Mm-hmm. Like basically, all the martial arts studios in the area, except yeah. for one, like shut down. So I'm like, and that's just my limited information of what I've heard. Yeah. Well, you know, I wanted to make sure that I understood what that impact looked like for precinct two businesses. Now, obviously, I couldn't reach out to every single business, mm-hmm. but in talking with the chambers, obviously, who work closely with their member businesses and the business community, and then me just picking up the phone and calling business owners that either were sole proprietors or had a bakery or had an IT business, you name it, just calling to say, what was your experience with PPP? What's been your experience with COVID? And even when we had our orders in place and making changes to that, just really wanting to hear directly from them 
what does that mean to them? Mm-hmm. And ideally, you know, we have to um, strike a delicate balance of ensuring public safety while doing our best to support the economy. Mm-hmm. That's really hard to do. That's hard. Yeah. I, don't, um, I, I do not envy your, your role. <laughs> well, I do it joyfully, but um, to be quite honest, these are really difficult times. I think for anyone that's in a leadership position, mm-hmm. Um, and whether that's, you know, making these decisions for how you're going to care for your family. And then if you, um, you know, are in a leadership position with uh, your employment, whether that's you being the business owner um, or, you know, if you are kind of working the a more traditional uh, role in, in a corporate organization or mm-hmm. whatever. I mean, these are you have to make so many decisions so quickly and sometimes with very little information, mm. you know. And, and and this is like a it's on topic but off the topic just sure. something and the the that I don't know but since I have you here mm-hmm. you might can answer how does the structure work so if if Governor Abbott says something and then then we have the county and then we have the city sure th- does he supersede the county uh, or is there protection and then can this, like how does all the, or, at times okay. yeah so um it's it's not always very clear. So originally, the governor made a disaster declaration, and then um, various counties made their disaster declarations, cities made their disaster declarations, and Texas is so big, we have 254 counties. Mm. And so that means each county was kind of taking their own approach, and then each city... Um, was kind of taking their own approach. And there is a, you know, a highly concerted effort in Tarrant County to try to make sure that what the county was doing to every, to, to the degree that it was possible to, for the cities to be in lockstep. And, but you can imagine with a county of over 2 million people in 41 cities that that's really complicated. Mm-hmm. But there certainly was some confusion around that on the front end and there continues to be. You know, there was there was a lot of um, discussion about how the cities and the counties were taking a very direct role in responding to the uh, pandemic. And there was some criticism that the state wasn't doing enough and in other areas that the state was overreaching. Well, I mean, just recently, the governor in his in updated orders said that no local order could supersede the state order. Mm. So that meant our stay home, work safe order that we had put in place was um, no longer effective. And while you'll see some other counties, their leadership will have orders in place, you know, they are going back and forth between the governor's office and the AG's office and saying that your order is ineffective because the governor's order supersedes and so, you know, you can get into a whole conversation about whether that's symbolic or not, um, where politics is coming into play or not, mm-hmm. and where some folks have said, well, we're going to do everything that we can to drive home the point that this is serious, it should be taken seriously, and, you know, we need people to, you know, abide by certain standards. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's uh, very complicated. Yeah. 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 Uh, and 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 I consider myself slightly above average on this kind of stuff, but I I didn't because you know because we're having a bigger number now, and we got to think about school for our kids. That's and, right. And um, 
And so you're just like, I don't, I don't really, you know, I don't really know. You know, I even read up in like the 1918, you know. With the Spanish two, flu. Yeah, which yeah. was two years, by the way, and it had multiple ways. And mm-hmm. it was, it was pretty similar. And, uh, and, and same thing. Um, you had the first way, then people were tired of it. And then they, they just literally yeah. like human beings are the same. Like we do the same thing over and over and over again. Yeah. And, uh, so I'm like, man, we're about to get the second wave. All right. Who do we listen to? I don't know. Right. Well, and then, you know, you have a, as, um, elected officials, um, you should recognize that you have a broad constituency, whether or not that you choose to serve everybody equally or not. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, let's be real, but you have a broad constituency, which has, and folks have different priorities. And so, and some folks are disproportionately affected by COVID because of systemic issues or because of perhaps their age or pre-existing health conditions or, you know, to the degree that they are um, by virtue of the work that they do and who they serve may have higher risk for exposure. Mm-hmm. So considering all of that, um, you know, there is no one size fits all approach. So mm-hmm. you have to consider, okay, with what I know now and um, the responsibility that I have to act this is the best thing that we can do for now. And I know I've heard from a lot of folks early on and, you know, even as recent as yesterday is, well, you know, the rules keep changing and they're frustrated. And I can understand that, you know, uh, how could you not be as soon as you think that you've reached like some, some level of normalcy, um, then other factors come into play that changes that. So uh, people are rightfully so stressed out, they're anxious, they're mm-hmm. depressed, they're trying to do the best that they can for themselves and their families and whoever else they're responsible for, and it's, it's just a lot. Yeah, no, yeah. We, we, applaud, we applaud you and the other leaders for, for managing through it and being able to come on and share this information, because this is, this is and, and the money, and, and, and just to clarify, because I know this is a question people are going to have the, and you said it but I just want to clarify sure. this is money from the federal government That's so this right. is not going to affect the county's finances much or- so that's a great question so it's federal government which means it's it's still everybody's money it just came coming it's coming through the county and we are responsible for it and we will be held liable for it so one of the it's talking about striking a delicate balance. One of the things that we had to do in putting together this program and any of the others was to try to make the application as thorough as possible without it being onerous on whoever is going to be using it, but mm-hmm. then making sure that based off of the treasury guidance that we has of now, that we have of now, that we are abiding by that, that we're compliant with it, and then trying our best to reduce the risk that should the federal government come in to audit or want to change things that it would reduce the clawback because once we give it to you as a business owner like you apply you get it um then you you've now done what you needed to do with it to support your business Mm -hmm. and so we can't ask for it back from you which means that it would come from the county Mm -hmm. so we're trying to make sure that we do our due diligence and try to mitigate any anything that we can anticipate but we know with this entire thing there's there's been very little that any of us have been capable mm-hmm. of anticipating because it's a global pandemic that one, you know, of a scale that we've never seen before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I won't go economic on you because <laughs> you got to listen to my other episode. I don't. I'll I, invite you on my podcast. Yeah, Once I get one, then I'll yeah, invite you. Because I, I don't think people <laughs> truly understand the next 24 months of, you might, 
you um, no, you do know. Yeah. You know, the public doesn't understand the local financial impact mm-hmm. um that's that's uh that's coming yeah. and the fights around that. So um any anything else that I haven't asked that you feel is important for people to know about this program or other programs that are available for the county? Sure. Well, I think that with a small business uh, grant assistance program that um, we, you know, we know that things that may may come up, like as folks um, start to apply, if they have questions or concerns, um, that they have resources that they can go to. We actually entered into partnerships with the chambers throughout the county that wanted to be of assistance, um, which means that, that you should be able to call those those chambers and um, as a member and get support. And then some chambers, if they have the capacity, are trying to reach the broader business community. Um, but just like every other business has been um, affected, so have chambers. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we're working with uh, a Tarrant County College uh, District's um, small business development office, and then, of course, my office is here to be a resource. We've got our um, Mansfield office on East Broad and then our Arlington office on um, Abram Street in Arlington. And um, my office number is 817-248-6099. Or you can email us at Commissioner Precinct, the number two at TarrantCounty.com. And then I know our Economic Development Department, I think, has a number of the um, for the program. And so we'll be sure to... To um, share that, we'll get thrown up. Yeah. Okay. And sh- and shout out to one of, one of the most p- technologically progressive chambers that I've seen through the COVID is Lori Williams and her team over yeah. at Mansfield. Like yeah. Lori is on it. She's having like Zoom she education sessions. She's yes. getting emails out about information. Like yeah. if you if you're not a member of the Mansfield chamber, you need to because yeah. they're going to be a great resource just for getting information out. That's right. um, like Lori is. Yeah. Lori is in beast mode. Yes. Well, and I will add that um, the Arlington Chamber um, yesterday afternoon, as through their Facebook Live series, went through kind of a deeper dive of, of the program mm-hmm. in Vietnamese. So you can go to their website oh, wow. and look at that. This morning, I think they're doing something similar in Spanish. Um, on Monday, I'll be, um, doing something similar with the Grand Prairie Chamber where they're doing it in English and Spanish. Cause we have a very diverse community and we know that, you know, there were a lot of business owners that were affected. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we want to make sure that we are, um, you know, speaking to the needs of a diverse community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Well, well, I appreciate you coming on and sharing because this is really important information. Listen, for y'all who want to know the details of it, um, Go to the website tarrantcounty.com. I'll provide all other numbers in in the case note in the case notes <laughs> in the <laughs> podcast notes uh, section. Some of the numbers she mentioned, uh, other other links. Um, but but make sure you apply uh, if you're eligible on June 22nd. So spend the weekend, spend Father's Day weekend. Uh, I, I will on the website. <laughs> it won't take long. Um, figuring out if if you qualify because it's you know, it's good information. And I, yeah. and I imagine like some of the PPP money, like they still have money. So I'm like, I mean, start a million dollars, like make sure we spend it all. Cause that's right. That's what it's here for. Yeah. And one of the things that we're working on is, I mean, this is just from this, this, um, direct allocation of CARES Act funding. Obviously 
federal government is working to provide more relief. And our county has um, contracted with a company whose expertise is assisting municipalities with their disaster recovery. So we're actively going out to try to find where other pots of money are because we know that the need is great. And even though $209 million, you know, that's a substantial number. But for a county of over 2 million people and for what all the needs are, you know, that it, it goes we're, we want it to go as far as it can. But we know that it's not going to do everything that we need it to do. Yeah. PayPal, yeah. PayPal had a program and they shut their site down. Uh, yeah, I heard about the program. They had a program and they got so many applicants they had to shut it down because yeah. I'm. I'm a PayPal customer, so I went in and I was like, oh, man, I can't apply right now. Yeah. So um, and they, I think Goldman Sachs has one, too. There's more of a loan program. So, Devin, tell me about the census because we did it, we completed it, but the only reason why I did it was everybody was like, got to do the census, and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm just <laughs> I'm glad you it. did. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, well, so the census is required um, by the U.S. Constitution, and it has to be done every 10 years. And there's a lot that's actually decided by the census. Um, so the census is important to make sure that everyone is counted. And um, the Constitution says that everyone who lives, resides in the U.S. should be counted. Um, so, of course, that there was some, some confusion some time back about um, asking citizenship questions and things like that. The Constitution says that you reside in the, the U.S. So what it does is decides how billions upon billions of federal dollars um, gets allocated um, more at the local level. And it's important that everyone be counted because the money follows the people, not the need. And so if we don't know that you're there, then we don't know that money needs to be going to, you know, folks based off of population. That's one reason why the census is important. It's also important because it um, directly impacts congressional apportionment. So California, for instance, is positioned to lose congressional seats. Texas is poised to gain two to three, three to four congressional seats. So that shows uh, that obviously directly impacts how we're represented at the national level. And then the census, uh, and with that congressional apportionment is the, um, the constitutional, uh, promise of one person, one vote. And so when, if you look at congressional apportionment, then uh, for the state of Texas, that also decides how our, um, house seats are determined. Um, at the local level, that determines how our commissioner precincts are determined. And even for some cities, if they have single member districts, then you want to do it based off of population. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's hugely important that folks complete the census. Um, for the first time in history, it's available to complete it online, but you can do it by phone, by snail mail, and of course online. And traditionally there w would be enumerators to go out into the community to go door to door for folks who had not yet completed the census. And obviously due to COVID, that it's impacted their ability to do that, um, at least for the present time. Um, but so the census day was April 1st uh, earlier this year. And of course, we were already right in the middle of, you know, initial response to the pandemic. 
Um, but thankfully in Tarrant County, we have over 60% of our residents who have completed the census. That's good, mm-hmm. except for, you know, we're not going to get perfect 100, but we need to get as close to it as possible because even like the CARES Act funding and other federal resources are determined by population. Mm. Um, so we want to make sure that everyone gets counted. Yeah. Okay. All right. Good information. Thanks for sharing. Appreciate you coming on. Yeah, of course. That was a great interview. Some good information. Make sure y'all check out the sites. Get the money if you can get the money because it's out there. I'll leave y'all with this from an investment standpoint. Make sure that you are having a sound strategy. I'm part of a couple of Facebook groups and text groups, and I'm looking at people that are doing a lot of irresponsible stuff with money. They're investing in taking in, in, in stocks that are super risky and they're mistaken making money for a couple of weeks or a month or two for long-term money. And, you know, one of the worst things that you can do is make money the wrong way because you build a bad habit. And it's like Vegas. You can win a jackpot, but if you keep going back to Vegas, Vegas is going to eventually own you. You cannot beat it. So, this stuff happened in 99. Like I said before, it happened in the late 60s. It recently happened with everybody who was cocky over the money they were making for a couple of months in Bitcoin. And, and now it's trickled to stocks. And it's, for me, a lot of people might take it as me being a know it all or thinking that no, I'm, I'm saying nobody can manage money unless you're an advisor or a wealth manager. It's, it's not that there's some people that are out there that aren't professional that are doing it the right way, but it's so many that are in, that are doing it without a strategy, that are thinking short term, they're following and focus and listen to the wrong people on the internet. And that stresses me out because I know that, I know how this game ends. Like it ends the same way. And the people that are going to get hurt the most are the ones with the most, that don't have much to lose anyway, because they're trying to make up for the little they have and doing it wrong and they're going to be in five years from now like a worse position so there is no such thing as getting rich quick if you don't remember anything technically just know that if it if it's if it sounds like you can get rich quick it's a lie it's a lie it's not possible go check the forbes 400 list and see who got rich getting quick i've been my business for the last 14 years is finding people with money I haven't met anybody who's made and kept money thinking short term and trying to get rich quick. It's not possible. And, and I've met a lot of really, really, really smart people, right? So don't think that you're smarter. You're like, no, but I'm smarter. I'm smarter. I'm better. I can do it. No, you can't. It's just, just, it, that's been a law for thousands of years. A matter of fact, here's how I sign off. Read The Richest Man in Babylon. I think that'll help you. It's a story of parables about money. And I think that'll help some people. So y'all enjoy your day. And we'll talk soon. If you are interested in having a review of your portfolio or to see how far on track you are with your retirement goals, Philip offers complimentary consults through his company, Stonehill Wealth Management. For more information, log on to StonehillWealthManagement.com forward slash talk. That's StonehillWealthManagement.com forward slash talk. 
Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.